From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 401. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Bombus, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason From Snell. my garage, I'm Jason nice. Snell. Hello. I don't live in Relay FM, you know. Wherever you go, it's half Live from Mega FM. Studio. It's, it's, it's your Relay M. For Mike, well, this is, is this like Snell Zone, like wherever you go. Yeah, you're relay, you're relay M, and Stephen is relay F. Why F? I don't know. Was, uh, you know, there's it's not relay SM, it's relay FM. So he gets to be F. It's for the F and Stephen, friendly Stephen Hackett. No, you can hear it. There's an F in Stephen. You know, like it sounds that way, <laughs> Stephen. You know, yeah, he just doesn't spell it that way. Stephen Hackett. Yeah. I'm excited about today's episode, Jason. I am too. Got a lot of big stuff to cover. I'm always excited about Upgrade, Mike. It's how yeah. I start my week. I get to talk to my friend Mike. Hello. We are really kind people who don't do things like correct other people uh, on their podcasts. We don't do that here. We're nice. We don't do like what I consider as correction ambush. No. There's very rarely surprise spiders on this show, uh-huh. so that's good. I've been ambushed a lot recently on my podcasts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to try and take control of this one today. Who could tell? It's been, I was the original ambusher, though, right, when I brought Federico well, in. Well, Federico did the ambushing. That well, that's, oh, yeah, but I was the engineer of the ambush. But yep. yes, Federico did the ambushing. It's true. I have a hashtag Snow Talk question. comes from Brian. Okay. Ryan wants to know, Jason, if you were invited to be a guest on the Flophouse, what movie would uh, you want to talk about? Flophouse. One of my, uh, maybe my all-time favorite podcast. Ooh. Love it. Couldn't, I mean, I love it. Still listen to every episode. Although there's an episode that I'm holding because it's a movie I want to see. So I don't want it to be spoiled before mm. I listen. But um, but generally, yes, I love it. Dan McCoy, Elliot Kalen, Stuart Wellington. They're great. They just did a live show. Uh, loved it. Happy to pay for that. Just, you know, they're the best. I don't know why I would be invited on to the Flophouse. Uh, although I will accept if invited, I will sure. accept my choice. I mean, I would go with something recent if they wanted to, because they usually go with something recent. So I would, you know, sign me up for Morbius or something. It would be fine. Like something that's kind of up my alley. Um, I would do that. But if I'm going to a classic, I would go to the uh, movie covered already on the incomparable in episode 320, a rocket surgery. It's my favorite bad movie of all time. 1981's frankenstein island <laughs> so boys i'm ready to talk i'm ready to to take you to the exciting world of frankenstein island where it, it's not really about frankenstein but there's a lady with a house and there's these uh these sort of women wearing weird leopard print bikinis charming snakes and there's a there's an old drunk in a jail cell and uh the ghost of john carradine appears at various points randomly it's quite a thing <laughs> I discovered this movie in high school, and it was very fun to subject my podcasting pals to this. And you know, every so often, I hear from uh, I hear from Tony Sindelar, and he tells me, you know, Jason, I was thinking about Frankenstein Island the other day, and it delights me that that it haunts him now, like it haunts <laughs> me. It's great. If you would like to send in a hashtag Snow Talk question of your own, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snow Talk or use question mark Snow Talk in the Real FM members Discord. Would you like to address the follow up ambush? I mean, I guess we have to. Yeah. Uh, so Stephen Hackett on Connected last week ambushed Mike with uh, fact-checking mm-hmm. about uh, our discussion of whether Apple would make people charge, uh, pay more for colors, mm-hmm. just pure color charges. And we talked about the, the uh, black MacBook and the black MacBook tax. And uh, Stephen 
posted a blog post where he wrote about it. And I read that blog post and I thought, oh, it's very nice of Stephen because he's basically correcting us, but he's not phrasing it as a correction. And then I linked to his post and owned up to the fact that Stephen was providing information and we kind of got it wrong last week, only to listen then over the weekend while I was mowing my lawn to um, to Connected and hear that he wasn't so nice because he, he ambushed you during Connected with this information. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, So yes, what the argument there is that although the black MacBook was more expensive, it was also higher specced, which is true. Although it's also true that if you specced the white MacBook to match it, it would there would still be a price difference, and that was the source of the black tax concept. Is that even if you spec them identically, it was more expensive. So it was not just the case that there was a higher spec model that came in a different color, which is very much like the twenty four inch iMac, right? Mm-hmm. Where some of the colors only come in the higher spec model. You can't get it in the base model. But even if you made them all line up, the black MacBook cost more for the same specs. There was still a tariff on the color. Um, also, in current times, and we didn't mention this, mostly because, I mean, I, I didn't even think of it. Um, I just don't think that this is a big deal. But it's it's a true thing. Apple charges more for the black trackpad, mouse, and keyboard mm-hmm. than it does for the white one, white silver, white one. Why? Because they can. <laughs> I've been getting that feedback a lot. Now I'm getting this feedback about these colors from two shows now. Yeah. It's so so, so I just want everyone to stop talking about it. Let's stop. Yeah. Anyway, do I... So I guess my point is, do I think Apple will make a, a Mac or even an iPhone that is not at all different from the other models but you pay more because of the color Mm. i don't think so they're doing it for the accessories i don't think they'll do it for a mac or an iphone or an ipad i guess um i but the asterisk there is they may sequester some of the colors like it's just like the colors in the iphone pros aren't the same as the colors in the iphone but that's not quite the same because you're buying a different phone um, and even with the iMac 24, they're sequestering it, but they're doing it in the step-up model, and all the colors are the same price at that model. Mm. So I, I think I read that question to be really like, literally, you can get this computer for $1,500 unless you want it in purple, at which point it's $1,600 for the same computer. And I don't think they'll do that. But the counter-argument is... Why is the black keyboard more expensive? And I have no answer for you there. It's pro. That's why. It's a it's professional pro. Yeah, one. It is. It is. I got my studio display. Yay! Those are get those are those are arriving. James Thompson, yep. our friend, showed us that he got his and and his Mac Studio too. So it's it's happening. It's all happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio display that I got, just as a uh, refresher to people, was the standard panel with the height and tilt adjustable stand. So oh. the Pro Display XDR looking stand, it doesn't operate exactly as that one. Like it I doesn't. can't do tilting, like uh, what do they call it? Clockwise and like, Yeah, it doesn't movement. rotate. Yeah, yeah ho- horizontal to portrait. Um, I thought I would talk you through my impressions of uh, using it for a couple, only a couple of days. Uh, it is, I was immediately struck by how big and heavy the box was. Like, to a point where I was like, wow, this is the heaviest Apple product box I've picked up in a long time. And I expect the majority of, I expected the majority of that weight was in the stand 
that I had on my display. So I looked through it. Um, the Pro Display XDR, sorry, no, it's not what I got. The Apple what? Studio display with the regular stand is 13.9 pounds, which is 6.3 kilograms. The one with the height adjustable stand that I have is 16.9 pounds. So it's three wow. pounds heavier. You have, you have three pounds of more yeah. stand. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not surprised about, right? That you've got to anchor the display, right? Because it can be moved around so much. You, you don't want it sure. falling over. Um, this right. is 7.67 kilograms. And th- the iMac that I have sitting in front of me, the 24-inch iMac, I remembered how uh, light that box felt. Well, that was 9.83 pounds, uh, uh, 4.4 ki- uh, 4.46 kilograms. Wow. Uh, and I was thinking, well, what could have been the heaviest thing I could remember? And I remember the iMac Pro box being pretty heavy. Um, and that was twenty one point five pounds, so it was the yeah heaviest yeah. The, this display is a lot lighter than the uh, than the iMac Pro, mm-hmm. but not like the twenty four inch iMac. That's interesting. So if I if I really wanted the optimum floating above my desk experience, I should get a vase mount iMac twenty four inch instead. Yeah, that would be pretty, yeah. Be nice I'm, bit, I'm not gonna yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Just in regards to the box. I really like the woven handles that they put on these mm-hmm. boxes. I had it with the iMac and with this. Uh, just like in general, this all, I think, came from the Mac Pro, like the, the way that they do Mac boxes now, especially the desktop boxes. Yeah. Well, They're so and nice. Mac Pro makes sense, right? Because it's um, lower volume, so they yeah. can experiment on a low volume product. Because yeah. the goal here is to get um, plastic out of packaging. Like, yes. And they, they have been working on it. There's um, a lot of stuff that used to be kind of peel off plastic is now paper. Uh-huh. And that that handle yeah. is a woven handle instead of it being a plastic handle. I believe it's a woven. I, I don't know what material it is, but I don't think it's plastic. I think it. I think it's a uh, an actual you know plant material of mm-hmm. some kind. Um, and that's the idea. People can correct me if I'm wrong, but like the idea here is they're trying to get um, bad contents out of their packaging. And there's still places where there's like a plastic wrap thing. But um, I remember when they were talking so much about their environmental stuff a few years ago, and then I would get uh, my review units in and there would be plastic everywhere. And I think, well, you guys are still using a lot of plastic in every one of these that you sell. And they, they have been working on that, which I think is, you know, it's, it helps, I think. And like, is even the Mac studio, right? They have a kind of I saw some unboxings, like a sh- basically a cardboard shock absorber, right? In the, yeah. in the base of the box. It's mm-hmm. like stuff like that. It's like instead of using foam or whatever, I think mm-hmm. it's really cool. For sure. So the panel itself is fantastic, the display. Um, I was immediately struck with the richness in the colors compared to the LG display that I was using prior. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't using one of the Ultrafines or anything like that. I don't even remember. I don't know what, what color gamut it had. Um, but, you know, this is a Mac with the P3 color. You know, and it, you know, it's obviously it's similar to uh, my iMac display, but just in the environment of using my MacBook Pro in that desk with, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, this looks much, much different. Uh, I'm, I've decided I'm going to try running it on, like, the default display settings. I usually would gravitate towards less space so like um, like more space i should say so i had oh. more space uh on the display um but i'm sticking with the kind of regular because it does look the best uh, you know i was originally thinking to do this because i've gone down from a 31 inch display to a 27 inch display for this desk mm-hmm. um but instead i'm just trying to get used to it because really it just looks best that way 
That's true. It's not doing any scaling or anything like that. Running a little native resolution there. Yeah, but the panel's great. You know, like there isn't really much to say on here. If you've used, you know, any iMac 5K, in years, it's iMac it's, or iMac know. Pro, the most but recent ones. The original nice. was a little bit less of a panel, but the um but the the last few years it's been this panel. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely right. I wanted mm-hmm. to mention something that um about the panel that came up. Uh somebody tweeted at me, Andrew Nelson. Um he pointed out Related to a completely unrelated CGP Grey thread about um, giant spiders in Hawaii. Right. um, Which we're not going to talk about. But uh, this display has a laminated screen, I believe. So it's like the the panel is laminated. um, It's up against the the glass. What this means is theoretically I couldn't get a spider um, in my screen like I did way back when in 2017 (laughs) when a spider crawled between Uh the panel and the glass on my iMac. Uh, I don't think, I think this is a, 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 I can't say it's a spider-free display, right? The spiders could, could crawl around. There are holes. There are holes there in this display. There are holes because so there's a, there's vents there. and fans and stuff. Uh-huh. The fighters, spiders would have to fight against the, uh, the airflow. But uh, w- the key point is it couldn't happen like it happened uh, to my 5K iMac where I woke up one day and there was like a little dead spider um, in my screen where I just had to look at it until I got it fixed um so thumbs up for lamination is what i'm saying and yeah I, I didn't really think about that but i guess that's one of the things that makes it look so good too right it's just like the pixels are right there in front of you like i, yeah. I like that i like the look of that a lot it's, it, so it's a subtle thing but it makes a big difference for mm-hmm. just how, how good the panel looks um obviously i'm using it with my you know the way i've got it set up i've i've had a thunderbolt dock the cow digit dock for a while that i was using with my display and I've done some rejiggering to use the dock still because I have a bunch of things I want to plug in. It's a mixture of USB-C and USB-A devices. So the CalDigit dock has that um, because obviously this display just has three USB-C ports that I could use. Um, and I've noticed um, like immediately uh, lag with my Logitech mouse. I use the Logitech MX Master 3 mouse and I use the little Logitech receiver that they give you. Mm-hmm. And it just was not working very well at all. I expect that this is an issue with the CalDigit dock for some reason. Because on my, uh, I remembered that I had issues before on my LG monitor, but the LG monitor had a USB-A port on the back. So I just put the Logitech receiver in there and it was no issue. I don't know why Logitech do not make a USB-C version of their unifying receiver. Still, it's just USB-A. Yeah. Um, I'm going, I've switched to Bluetooth on this mouse for a bit, and that's fine. I I prefer the receiver. I do find it to be more reliable. So I did just order today, at at Stephen's recommendation, a USB-C to A dongle, and I'm going to try plugging it into the display. Um, But just in general, though, uh, there is some rethinking that my desk requires, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to be doing yet. Like, everything needs to be rearranged. I don't know where to put the laptop anymore because I would put the laptop underneath the display because the LG display that I had clamped on the back of the desk so there was space underneath. But now the foot of the studio display is there. So I can't put it there. So I've been, I don't know where to put it. You know, I've been thinking I wanted to get one of those 12 South things, you know, like the, that stands it up. But I saw some reviews online that was seeming to suggest that they, even though they claim they have like a, a, an insert in their book arc, it's called for the 14 inch, that it's a little too tight. So I'm not sure if I want to go with that option. I have some rethinking to do for how my desk arrangement is going to be. I'm not sure if the CalDigit dock will remain because I don't really need a Thunderbolt dock. I need something that's just USB C. 
and there are lots of USB-C docks out there that are labeled typically as travel things, but they're much more simple. And I might go in that route eventually. Um, I'm not sure yet. I haven't decided. Um, but I will say that overall, even with this rearrangement required, my desk looks so much nicer with the display on it. This display, it's just a good-looking piece of computer hardware, way more than the big LG ergonomic display. Um, I had the LG Ergo display mm. um, on there before. That thing is just not a good-looking computer. But really, all of this has been like the main reason I wanted this display is that when I plug in the cable to my like you know I I'm still having like I'm still plugging my MacBook Pro into the cable that goes into my CalDigit dock and then that dock goes into the Thunderbolt like port of the display so I can still use everything as normal but I plug that cable in the monitor turns on immediately every single time without fail and I did not have this experience with any other monitor that I was using previously. And it drove me crazy every single day as I had to plug and unplug something to get my monitor to turn on. And, like, and sometimes it would only take one cable for me to unplug. Sometimes it would take multiple cables. Sometimes I had to open and close the laptop. Sometimes I wouldn't. I had to do any of that. Just laptops closed, plug in the cable, press either you know one key on the keyboard or I click the mouse and the screen comes on and I'm ready to go. Like, and that's exactly what I wanted, and that's what I've gotten, and I'm super happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the height adjustability of this stand is excellent. It's really smooth. Something I did notice is it does wobble. Like when I'm typing, the display wobbles. Now, again, this is normal to every display that I have used that suspends itself in some way. Um, what I will say to people is if you think that this is something that would bother you, do not get this version of the display get the one with just the tilt stand and get something to put it on. Like, if I'm typing, and I'm not an, ag- an aggressive typer, I'm typing, the, des- the desk will move, right? Like, you, you, you put bounce yes. in the desk, and this, the, the monitor picks it up, right? Like, the monitor shakes a little bit. Again, I'm very used to this now, but, you know. And any monitor is going to shake when your desk shakes, though. So It's you're, way you're, more pronounced. It's more pronounced. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I would say it's probably akin to if you use a VESA. Like, it would probably be pretty similar if you yeah. use a VESA suspended monitor. But this is, like, this is not something that I notice at all on the desk that I'm on right now where I've got my iMac sitting on top of a, just a stand because mm. it's... the. the there isn't so much of a residual wobble afterwards. And it, this, I mean, the thing's not going wild, but I just know how particular Mac users can be, right? Some people, and yeah. if you th- wouldn't have thought this was a thing that could happen, I think it's a good PSA to remind people that it can happen. So, But the height adjustability is a must for me. I got my ruler out too. Scales and rulers I've been dealing with over the last couple of days. So my iMac, the, the bottom pixel edge, right? So like... If you imagine from where the screen ends, right? Yep. That is 15.2 centimeters to the desk. Mm-hmm. The reason I say it that way is like the, the actual bottom of the computer is 8.5 centimeters to the desk, but it has the chin, right? Yeah, exactly. So an iMac, the 24 inch iMac sitting straight on the desk, that's how high, that's like kind of 15 centimeters, 15.2 centimeters from the desk is where the monitor begins. Mm-hmm. And it, now I have to put mine on a little stand because that's too low for me. The studio displays at a comfortable height. That measurement is 19.5 centimeters. So it's like four and a bit centimeters difference. Mm-hmm. That to me is the level of this is comfortable to this is uncomfortable. That's good. 
Also, if you do a, I don't know if you have a sit-stand desk, but you yeah. usually need to adjust the height when you change configurations too, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I have my uh, monitor usually on an arm is that when I go exactly. standing, yeah. it's a, I need it at a different height. Yeah, and now I mean, and now I have this right, and it, and it really is great. Like it goes, you know, there's a lot of variation in the in the height that you can get from the display stand. So I'm really happy with that. The second thing that I was intrigued about was the webcam flickering. Mm. Now, here's a funny thing about this. When I open any app for the first time that uses the camera, I get the flickering from my overhead lights, as I had prior to macOS 12.3. If I quit the app and relaunch it, it's fixed. (laughs) This is not the behavior on my iMac or on my MacBook Pro. And it's not when you engage the camera the first time, because if you go to a different app, it also does it? Correct. So it happened huh. in FaceTime. I quit FaceTime. I wrote some notes being like, oh, they've ruined it. doesn't work. And then I opened FaceTime again, and it happened for half a second, and then it fixed itself. Then I opened Zoom. Same thing. I wonder if there's something in the background that's basically doing flicker detection per app uh, it should be doing that like because there are other like logitech's cameras can do this right like other cameras do this they recognize there's a flicker and then they fix it iphones do it so i've seen it happen mm-hmm. on iphones before like it recognizes it's a flicker just for a second and then it adjusts something in the camera so you stop getting the flickering from the from the lights i don't know why it's that it's happening i mean it's very strange but then it fixes itself so it's odd. I now know that it happens. I give this recommendation to people out there who are getting one of these and have a similar situation to me. Um, just quit the app and start it again, and the flickering will stop. Very odd. But in general, I mean, I share the same feeling about the camera as many reviewers. It looks worse compared to my MacBook Pro and my iMac, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The colors are really washed out. I look, and everything looks really smooth. I look like an oil painting. It is, yeah. It is doing, I've seen a bunch of samples, and I've seen it in certain light with mine. It is aggressively processing. Yep. Uh, James Thompson posted uh, sort of two comparisons in his office space, and you can see, like, I mean, you can actually see what it's doing probably wrong, which may be the thing that they fix in software, which is he was in a, in, he had one shot where there's like the blacks are blacker and that you can see some shadows and stuff. And then on the studio display webcam, it's like it's trying desperately to have there be no blacks in the display or in the screen at all. And, and it's trying to like lighten everything and get him to be completely the same. It's like um, a low dynamic range. Like let's smooth this out as much as possible and have as little dynamic range as possible. And it, it does actually feel like the processing is making bad decisions like let's flatten this and when i got in a lower light situation even when we were doing our webcast the other week at the end of it where i was i dropped the blinds in my office and turned off some of the lights and uh, or even when i turned on the really bright lights it started to look weird because it was trying to flatten everything out um so some of that is an effect of taking a portion of a of a wide angle camera and adjusting it and not having as much re- resolution um but I do think some of it is that there it's making some bad choices about mm-hmm. what you think your picture should look like. And it's like, I want a really artificial, 
and maybe this was like what they thought like this is what people want for their web their their video conferences right is a flat uh, at, you know, no contrast, no shadows, as flat and and smooth as possible. But you go too far down that path, and yeah, you look like a painting. Uh, I've also experienced the weird center stage thing, where it feels like the the, the camera person stopped paying attention. Sure. Where like you move, and it takes a long time, and then it's like, oh, there you are, and which is again not what I've experienced yeah. with iPads. And then my favorite thing is that when you turn it off, and it, the framing is way too high. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like suddenly it's like you're peeking in from the bottom of the screen. <laughs> it looks like you know, bring your child to work day. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking about that. That that it's the way it's it's framed. It's so weird because it's not. It's not. You know, it can see my whole body, or or at least my whole. You know, sitting in a chair, upper half, uh, when it's in center stage mode. But when I turn it off, it, it's like no, I can only really see up to your. You know, from your nose up. It's like well. Why did that? Why was that chosen as the off crop for this mm-hmm. display? It seems so strange. And of course, there's no setting because a nice thing you could do is say, when I turn it off, here's what I want the crop to be, or at least, or give me a little UI where I could sort of drag out. I don't want to use center stage, but I want to choose what my crop is. That's the beauty of having this wide angle lens is that you could actually sort of choose. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's just going to give you your 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 eyes and uh, your your head, top of your head. That's it. So it's I don't get it. Kind of like it's a comparison. You know, if I turn, if I use the webcam on my iMac, it's almost kind of like it's looking down on me a little bit. But I still see my head and most of my shoulders. If I turn off or like I open Photo Booth because center stage doesn't work there, it's right. basically like just the three quarters of the top part of my head is Hello. all you see. And it's like, yep. what is going on? Like it's just such a weird, very high crop that it's taken here. Because yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what I they're doing. Very weird. Um, you know, look. I share the same thoughts as most people out there, reviewers, listeners. Apple is doing just a very bad job with front-facing cameras in their computers, and I kind of can't believe we're still having this conversation. It's just not acceptable anymore. Mm. Like They have to do a better job, and especially on something like this, when there is room, right? Like I understand oh, yeah. the argument a little bit more for the laptops because they're really thin, these monitors are thick. Like you could put a lot of hardware in there if you yeah. wanted to. Uh, they've just chosen not to, and that whatever they're prioritizing to deprioritize the camera, I'm very confident it's the wrong decision today. Yeah, I think I think they've been getting a lot of feedback about that, which is good because that is one way that they change things. I have a couple of theories. One is, and I, I I know I talked about it before. I wrote a MacWorld column about it. I think they get caught up in reusing their tech, and so they had the 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 um the center stage camera from the mm-hmm. iPad, and they're like, oh, people love it. I'm going to put it in this sixteen hundred dollar display, and uh, maybe the context of a a computer display, people had higher expectations for quality, um, and and also that they chose. They they prioritize and again I can argue this because I really like center stage and in most Me of my too. lighting conditions the camera looks fine but here's the thing they they could have put let's just say it they could have put a 4K webcam in there and they prioritize center stage because they're like well, yeah you know actually the lower quality camera with center stage is better because we because we think it's better or because we invented it or because we are our plan is to reuse this or and i think this is a theory that might be true we're going to save the more expensive part for our more expensive display that we sell for $2500 right <laughs> cuz i think maybe that product is coming um 
and and that this is the bottom of the line display. But I agree with you that I, I think the reaction shows that Apple Apple's assumption that the center stage camera would be good enough in this context was probably wrong or at least a little misguided and that that a lot of people expect expected something better and that it was the wrong trade-off to make Mm -hmm. now i really like center stage and i'm glad that it's on the mac but uh and i'm a little mystified why a 12 megapixel like a 12 megapixel camera facing you that's like that should be really good right but it's something is going on here um, and I know it's a wide angle, so it's grabbing a lot of pixels that it actually can't use most of the time. And that's part of their decision-making process here. But but yeah, um, whether they got caught up in their own excitement about center stage or whether they're actually withholding a better camera for a more expensive product, I think I would argue that that would be a mistake too because this is a $1,600 display and you really ought to prioritize that. And I mean, I'll throw in the the heap, Mike, uh, the, the Apple's, I get the laptop limitations but yeah on the iMac and on this display i also am disappointed about the fact that we have um face id on iPhones and iPads mm-hmm. and they haven't done that on the Mac either mm-hmm. and that's also disappointing last thing i wanted to mention is the speakers they're pretty good but it kind of doesn't really matter to me i'm just happy to have speakers on my monitor again <laughs> i guess i didn't um on my OG display didn't have speakers so i would if i wanted to play any audio i would either plug in my airpods i would play it very quickly on my closed laptop which actually you know was better than i would have expected it to sound the the speakers on the the macbook pro are so good they they break through the closeness uh or i would use airplay to my homepod mini None of those are as good and as useful as just having good speakers built into the display, which I didn't have on the display that this replaced. So, yeah, I would say all in all, for me, this was worth waiting for, and I'm really happy with this product. It is not perfect, but it does most of the things I need better and or to my level of expecting with just a few things that they've fallen down on. But honestly, with the camera being the main issue for me, I expected that. Yeah, and it shows, and this is the thing that I think gets missed. Um, ATP did a good segment about this where they've, they've tried to explain like why why the retina resolution matters to some people and why if you're in the Apple ecosystem, having an Apple-built monitor that sort of looks nice and fits in with stuff mm-hmm. and is tested to work so you plug it in and things charge and things work and all that, like there is value in that. And this is, I wanted to do a little tangent about the reviews of this product and the subjectivity of reviews in general, because, uh, you know, a bunch of these reviews are, but there are other monitors that are cheaper, which totally misses the point that this monitor is filling a niche that previously only the ultra fine filled. And, and I would prefer a world where there was lots of stiff competition to make displays at the resolution that apple has defined as a retina resolution for the mac and the problem is there there isn't there just isn't nobody else did it there's just the ultra fine and now this product is there and it is an apple product and it has it is better in a lot of ways than that ultra fine which wasn't that much less expensive than this product and that has a value and it doesn't matter if if you me- if you care about that stuff it doesn't matter that you could buy a cheaper monitor that's at a lesser resolution because that's not the product you want. And that's not your preference on this. 
Also, I find perplexing some of the reviews that complain that this monitor isn't another product that doesn't exist. Um, Quinn Nelson recently did a, a video on his uh, Snazzy Labs uh, channel about this display, and it's largely him complaining. And Quinn is great. I love him. I love his videos. But that video is basically, why isn't this a $2,500 micro LED display? Which I would argue, that's a good question. Um, that would be an interesting product. Apple may be making that product. There are rumors that Apple is making that product. That said, this is not a $2,500 micro LED display. It's a $1,600 display. And at least personally, like it doesn't change the fact that a whole lot of people have been falling over themselves to buy this display <laughs> because it fills a need that has been so poorly filled for seven years when Apple said, we're getting out of the business and we're just having LG make a, a monitor. And, and that literally is the only one that kind of fills all of these needs other than the $6,000 display. A lot of us, and I, I'm speaking for myself here too, if they made a $2,500 micro LED display, I wouldn't buy it. I'm not spending that money. I'm not going to, I'll buy a $1,600 display and I have. $2,500 display, something like that, with the cutting edge tech in it. Yeah. I know how nice it would look for my needs. I, I'd really rather have a, a $900 cheaper display mm. that that is this display. And, and if you boil it down beyond that, what you end up with is essentially the argument that I wish it was cheaper, which you can make about literally every Apple product ever made, which is like, yes, would I rather that this monitor be $1,000? Sure. That would save me six hundred dollars. I would like Great. it to be ten. Just yeah, $10. I mean, they should just—it should just be bundled with the free. Studio, you'd get buy one get one free. Uh, so, so that's not. Uh, and again, like you can make that argument. I wish Apple stuff were cheaper. People have been making that argument literally since Apple started. And guess what? Uh, Apple isn't going to make it cheaper for you. They're not. They just—they like money, and they know people will pay extra for the Apple stuff, and so they will. And that's what this display is. So in the end, I think a lot of these reviews are basically like, I can't believe that Apple people are so focused on Apple's level of, of, of design and quality and the resolution of the display that they're willing to spend $1,600 when they could buy something that is lesser, but it's stuff that, you know, whatever for cheaper. And I don't know, it's kind of the classic Mac versus PC argument, which is... All this stuff that you guys care about, I don't care about. And so you sh why are you buying this thing? You're dumb or you're cultists or you're, you're suckers that have been conned by Apple's marketing. And I'm not saying you're, you, that you, if you don't want this display and if you like those other displays, there's anything wrong with that. I know a bunch of people who have non-Apple, non-ultrafine external displays with less resolution and they're fine with it. That's fine. I have a problem with somebody looking at a product that a whole lot of us have really, really wanted. And yeah, we wish it was a little bit better. And yeah, we wish it was a little bit cheaper. But it fills a thing that has not been fulfilled really by anything for seven years and say, all the stuff that you care about doesn't matter just by a cheap display. Because what kind of argument is that? And that, that, is, a, that is a function of some of the reviews of this product that, that uh, I don't appreciate because... They are discounting things that some of us care about. And just the existence of a cheap monitor does not mean that everybody should run out and buy a cheap monitor. This is 
I wish there was competition for Apple. Don't get me wrong. I want somebody to make this display or a version of this display for and sell it for $800 and totally undercut Apple. But guess what? Apple tried that seven years ago. Didn't happen. So this is what we're left with is something from Apple that does everything that Apple promises that it does other than maybe the center stage should have been better. But like you get you get what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like it is the Apple monitor. And yes, it does cost more than we want to pay, just like everything else Apple makes. I'm glad it exists and 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 a lot of people are very glad that it exists and will buy it. And the existence of cheaper monitors that don't do what this monitor does doesn't change that. The exi- the imagination of a dream monitor made of cutting edge technology that costs another thousand or fifteen hundred dollars doesn't change what this product is. So I think you can be critical of some of the choices Apple made in this product, but I think that there are a lot of people who go beyond that and start to say, well, why would you ever buy this when you can just buy a six hundred dollar Dell monitor and be fine? It's like, okay, yeah, I could buy a HP laptop for five hundred dollars too, but I don't. This episode is brought to you by FitBod. Between balancing work, family, and just about everything else you've got going on in your life, it can be hard sometimes to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you, and that's why you need FitBod. Because what I, the great thing about this about making it a priority, for me, I can speak from my own experience, making fitness a priority meant that I needed something that felt like it was for me, that I needed something that I was enthused to do. And this is what FitBod allows because it crafts a personalized exercise plan unique to you because FitBod will learn about your goals. It's going to learn about you and your training ability. And their app makes it so incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. It lowers the fear level for me, like all the unknown. It doesn't say, I'll just do this. They show you how to do it. They have videos that show you from multiple angles how to complete every exercise. For me, and I think for many others, personal fitness isn't about competing with others. Like I'm not trying to be an athlete here. I don't want to stack up against anybody else. I just want to find something that works for me. That's when it really sticks. That's when you see the results. And that is what FitBod uses data to do, to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, which you also have instant access to from anywhere with your own personalized routine in their amazing app. So you're able to make progress on your goals no matter where you're working out. Everybody's fitness path is different. That's why FitBod does all of this work to make sure to customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next will be even better. And it even tracks your muscle recovery to make sure things are balanced with a variety of exercises so you're not overworking anything, you're not going to get tired, you're going to stay away from injury, that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Um, the FitBod app recently got a design refresh, which is awesome. Looks really great, even easier to use. And it integrates with Apple Health, Fitbit, Strava, and your wearable devices. Your Apple Watch device, maybe you wear a smartwatch as well. It's gonna, you're going to get access to it there so you can keep track of things while you're actually in the exercise routines. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. FitBod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. It's really great value. And you can get 25% off that membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash upgrade. Obviously, the real pro move there is to get the annual one, get 25% of that. It's pretty great. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash upgrade and you'll get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade for 25% off. Our thanks to FitBod for their support of this show. And Relay FM. So your uh, studio 
Mac Studio mounting system came in, right? Your new shelf. <laughs> it's, is it's that a, what it's called? It's a system. It's quite a system. It's a pl- it's a uh, a plastic uh, or I guess lucite. I don't know what it is. Acrylic, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing. This is the newer technology new shelf dual mount for the uh, Apple Mac Mini mm-hmm. 2010 to current. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is currently available only one in stock because <laughs> I think we've done a run on this. Yeah, and it and it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> they said more coming soon, which I think is interesting. Available normally forty four ninety nine. Currently a cyber saver for twenty four seventy five. Probably by the time you hear this, they'll be sold out of this. Basically. Um, Otherworld Computing made a thing that was the size of sort of two Mac Minis because they sell a bunch of uh, uh, newer technology branded um, mini sized like hard drive enclosures and stuff like that. So you can make a stack. I used to have like a mini stack hard drive that my Mac Mini sat on. Um, And so they made this this uh, acrylic thing and it basically is the size of these two stack mac minis and it has four holes and screws and you screw it under your desk and then your mac mini is under your desk with that hard drive attached it guess what it fits the mac studio not perfectly it's got a hole in the bottom and the idea there is that the there's the little um, bump on the bottom of the mac mini and it will sort of like drop in and it's a little too small for the mac studio to drop in but it's fine it's fine it fits fine it's got little tabs on the back stephen hackett was really concerned that if you tried to plug in something on one of the front ports all you would do is uh shoot your mac studio out the back end (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that there are little tabs there to kind of hold it in place so it doesn't do that. Uh, but it's uh, completely open on the front and the back. And there's enough space in there for there to be actually com- some airflow on the sides as well and the top. And uh, so I bought one just to try it out and I put it under my desk. And that's where my Mac Studio is now. It's actually under my desk uh, toward the front so I can plug into the front ports or put a card in the sd card slot i can reach behind and press the power button if i want to do that it's all kind of reachable if i just kind of lean over a little bit mm-hmm. um it's 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 nice um somebody sent me a link to somebody who is making a 3d printed uh-uh. mac studio uh under under mount and uh-huh. it looks nice because it's going to be to the exact specifications of the mac studio um it is 3D printed, so it's like it's going to be a little kind of textured plastic thing, uh, which is fine. What I really would like to see, so I've got my USB interface, uh, audio interface, in something that's made for like, I, I don't even know what, some PC uh, something. Um, but it's like a little metal shelf. Um, and that's what I'd really like to see is somebody to make a, uh, and these are undoubtedly already being fabricated, but like a metal version of what um what owc did for the mac mini that is exactly the size of the mac studio or you know with some room but fits it and the ones that are out there on amazon today are all a little too big or too small um because i I think a a metal one would make me feel better than this acrylic one but it seems perfectly stable and it works it's it's funny because it's not the product it's meant for but um but it does work uh and i would be shocked also if owc wasn't working already on like a new version of this that actually uh that actually <laughs> fits the mac studio but in the meantime they are making hay with the uh with the the new shelf dual mount ma- that they made you know years ago and have been selling discounted 
<laughs> and it's suddenly more relevant than it was. I also expect that somebody like 12 South is going to come up with a bunch of Mac Studio yep. accessories at some point that are that are also very nicely designed and a little more expensive maybe than you'd like, but they're so nice that you end up buying them anyway because that's their, that's their bit. But yeah, it's great. It's so nice. You talked about your um, desk layout. After a couple of weeks with the Mac Studio on my desk, uh, it, I really like that it's under my desk now. Mm-hmm. Um, it my desk just feels that much more open, and there's really only uh, two cables running under my desk uh, or r- running over my desk. There's the power cable for the display, and then there's the Thunderbolt cable that goes from the display to the Mac Studio, which at the moment is running forward <laughs> over the front of my desk because it's the Apple one that's only a meter long, and it it, it can't go the other way. So I also bought a two meter long Thunderbolt cable for way more money than I would for like. a million dollars. Yeah, for $10 million. Wow, $10 million. Yeah, but it's really good. It's really good. Um, and and so I'm looking forward to when I get the face amount display next week, and I'm going to be able to run those two cables over the over the arm, and everything else will be hidden away. Um, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be great. But in the meantime, it has been fun to get that thing under my desk uh, where it feels uh, like it belongs. The sheriff of Rumerville, Mark Gurman, is reporting that Apple is currently working on building an entire infrastructure to provide financial services. This would include, quote, payment processing, risk assessment for lending, fraud analysis, credit checks, and additional customer service functions, such as the handling of disputes. Uh, this adds even more weight to our discussion about credit kudos last week not being yes. for the Apple card but for something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark mentions that this effort effort is focused on future products rather than an Apple's current lineup of services. So. Right. There is this one, you know, this, this idea that they're going to convert the Apple, the iPhone upgrade program, which is a loan, and then you can, you know, it, it's structured that way, into a service mm-hmm. that would be administered by Apple where you'd pay a monthly fee. And there's also this, like, Pay in four installments thing, which yes. apparently is coming to right because that's very very popular. Right, that's a trend that I, I don't. I know we haven't discussed it, but but these uh, services that allow you to pay four monthly mm-hmm. uh, installments instead that are very popular with the youngs. Um, that Apple's going to build its own version of that too. Um, and and this is all. I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but like this is exactly what you would expect from Apple. Even though this is an area where you're like, really, Apple's going to build financial products. It's like, yeah, but what is this really? This is Apple starting something by finding partners and then realizing all the strengths and weaknesses of the partners and saying we could build our own version of this mm-hmm. and keep it all in house. And they apparently are doing that they're going to build their own financial structure i i we joked about it with the apple card but now i'm really wondering you know can the bank of apple be far behind um even if nobody can get an account at the bank of apple uh it would not surprise me if apple just continues to build things and requires if you have all the money in the world you might as well do something with it yeah what else are you gonna do (laughs) just start using that cash to secure against lending like why not you know go for it I don't know what this is going to look like, honestly. Like, you know, obviously I can read what Marcus said, but like, do I imagine them to actually have bank accounts? Like, I don't know. No, I mean, I I wouldn't. Um, although, you know, in some ways they they have Apple Apple Cash is kind of that. Yeah. Um, also, I'll point out Apple Cash only in the U.S. still, right? And I wonder if I wonder if some of this is they use the U.S. as a test ground, and they're they're like, okay, 
if we want to build this out, we can either partner with different partners in all these different countries, or we could just do it. And it makes me wonder if that's part of this too, is that they're just going to roll it out and they're going to, they're going to take care of getting in every country and rolling it out instead of finding partners and having to negotiate. It's probably hard too, right? To find a willing partner who is willing to do what Apple demands of them. It's harder though, Jason, to get banking licenses. So I I don't really know what their plan is. It is, but it depends on what licenses are required to do what. But yeah, what they want to do. Yeah, it's true, and that that's that's the case. It was the case with their carrier rollouts too, right? The advantage they had there is that they had a product everybody wanted. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, I don't know. Um, It's fascinating. It seems like they really got to the point where they they realized there was a bunch of stuff that they felt either they were they could make more money doing it in house, or that there were things that they the products that they could not easily create by working with partners. And so they've decided to just go ahead and build some financial services functionality inside. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what form it takes. Never discount Apple's allergy towards working with other companies as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's number one on the list, right? Which is, is we have to use a partner. And like, if you see the benefit of using a partner, it's different. But there's also this feeling, and I suspect this happens a lot at Apple, which is, oh, we have to use these guys. They're slow. They don't think like us. They keep trying to do shifty stuff that we don't like. You know, it's just, it feels like a very much um, uh, what we would expect from Apple, which is that they, they'd rather go it alone if they can, mm-hmm. if they think that it's important. And this is the thing is I think they've decided that the financial aspect of what they're doing is so important that they really ought to own as much of it as they can. Audio Hijack 4 is available now. It is. I know you've been very excited about this over the last few months and you've been up to all kinds I of am. shenanigans. Do you want mm-hmm. to give the upgrading a little overview of what's new in Audio Hijack 4? Yeah, so Audio Hijack 4, it's an update. I think the last version of Audio Hijack was released a long time ago. It was like 2016, something like that, Audio Hijack 3. So it's been a while. Um, This is a paid update. I don't know exactly what the paid upgrade price is, but it's an update. Um, And it's, it's big. So they, there's like, there's some stuff that's just about the look and feel. It looks a little different. It's got a light mode to go with its dark mode that it always had. It is. $29 to upgrade, $64 to purchase outright. It is my favorite audio utility on the Mac. Yeah. Uh, it has a new master session list that's way better than the old one. The old one was a bunch of squares. Um, the new one is a compact list that shows you what is being captured for each item and shows you the current status of each of those sessions. And there's a button there to turn them on and off. So you can like fire off different sessions from right within that window. It's a way better uh, and more useful window. And then there's also a corresponding menu bar item that shows you all the same things. <laughs> and you can, and, and like most UI elements in Audio Hijack 4, they're all popovers with a tear off. So if you want the menu bar to be on screen all the time as a floating window, you can you can basically tear it off and have Ooh, it just floating on your nice. screen. Yeah, and you can do that with any item. Like if there's the live stream one, the broadcast block, you want to uh-huh. have that visible all the time, you can just tear it off and have it visible all the time, oh, which is pretty great. I like the sound of that. A whole bunch of stuff like that. So, so I haven't upgraded yet. I would have had to upgrade today and I didn't want to do it before the show. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, you really give the show its name if you did that, but it's it's probably unsafe. That is, it seems like a bad uh, bad it upgrade. Seems, you, know, you should just test like, it first. Yeah, I want to just yeah. make sure I've got all my stuff set up yeah. properly because I'm going to tinker with things, right? So I don't want to tinker yes. with things and then not set up my recording block and then just don't record mm-hmm. the show. So. That would be the bad upgrade. Bad, this is the good bad upgrade. upgrade. This is good this upgrade. This is the good upgrade. 
Um, they have a couple new plugins, which if, you know, they have a compressor and a magic boost. And these are things that like to level out the audio, if, especially if you're live streaming, if you, you know, one person's louder and one person's quieter and all that, and you try to level it out. But w- one way you can do that is by using a plugin to do that. And, and, and Audio Hijack didn't offer that. So you would have to get an external plugin, a third party plugin to do compression and all that. Now, Audio Hijack has rolled those in. So if you're doing a live stream, you can put the compressor block before the broadcast block and have it flatten everything out and it sounds better. And then Magic Boost is like a compressor, but it only makes it louder. It, do- it makes quiet things loud. It doesn't make loud things quiet. Um, so you choose how you want to use those. But those are like having a compressor in there is a big deal. It was really a missing piece in version three. And while you could add it using a third-party plugin, it's kind of nice that it's just part of oh, the app now. I use something called AU Multiband Compressor. What is that? Yes, then? that is an Apple audio unit that comes oh, with Logic. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So okay. it's a it's a it's a third party. I mean, it's Apple, but it's so like I'll a non-audio hijack audio unit. One. Yeah. I've swapped in compressor nice. for my third party plugin. Okay, I think great. I was using Core Presser and I'm just using the the compressor. Yeah, we had a lot of trouble for a long time where I was always quieter than everybody else before yes. Audio Hijack offered their live streaming. We used to use Nicecast and it mm-hmm. was just really hard to, to, to do it. And then when Audio Hijack did their thing, I could use this compressor, but I still have to tinker with things a little bit and boost my audio and stuff like that. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying that out. And uh, let's see, manual connection mode is another big one that people requested. And this is, so the interface Audio Hijack has is, it's super clever. Uh, Krista Morgan designed it for Audio Hijack 3. Um, and it's super clever. It's blocks, little blocks, and you arrange them and it kind of goes left to right. And it's like a flow chart and you see the connections between the blocks. And if you want them to connect differently, you move the blocks around and you just watch as the connections get made, which is great. Except if you have very particular connections you want to make, sometimes you end up playing this kind of unpleasant video game where you have to move things around. And like, if I move it down here, does that? Nope, that doesn't work. If I move it over here, oh, I need to move all these things to the left a little bit in order to get this thing to the right so that it wires up correctly. So it's a really great feature. That, I, that I've used all this time, but I also accept the fact that sometimes it can get very complex where you have to move things around in space, essentially, in order to get them to connect right. And you're like, I just want to, these two things to connect. Why don't they connect? And the answer is now there is manual connection mode. So when you go into manual connection mode, you can literally like click on one block and then click on another block and it makes a connection between them. This was one of my biggest feature requests, personally. Yeah. Like- yeah, because now, because I, I the, the my audio hijack windows are a certain physical size that they don't need to be. They could be smaller. Like I could actually make the window smaller, but then I can't see all of the blocks. So, if, but if now yes. with, the, with the the manual connections, I can compress everything much physically smaller because I don't need there to be so much space between everything, so they don't right. accidentally attach to each other. Right, exactly. And you can also set it up in automatic mode and then flip into manual connection mode and edit it a little bit. So you can like do, if you want to, you can have it do the automatic work first and then you can fix it and and it's all it's all fine. Mm-hmm. And then when you flip back out of manual connection mode, it rewires it. So don't, you know, don't do that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you can keep back. it in manual connection mode yeah. forever if you want to. And that's, that's part of it. And uh, for people who want more control, they can do that. And then the big thing, the reason that I got so excited about this is that Audio Hijack 3 had literally no uh, 
scripting or automation support of any kind to the point where I was, I was desperately trying to automate some of my podcast recording stuff. And I was doing these things where it's like a keyboard maestro macro that opens audio hijack and looks at the window and tries to detect what's in the window and based and what's in the menu bar. And based on that, is it recording or not? And can I open by double clicking in the window, I can open a session and then I can press the recording button. It was really bad because it was all based on looking at what was in the menus or trying to look at literally the pixels on the screen. It's not great. I, I got it to work sort of, but it was not great. And then part of the not greatness of it was that it, it couldn't easily tell the current status. Like, is this block actually recording or not? Because um, just pressing a button, if that if it is recording and it presses the button, it stops the recording. And it wouldn't easily know the status. You could, you could, it got very complicated. It was very painful. Well, version four, there's scripting. <laughs> is the version, mm-hmm. is, the, is the story. They're scripting. They built a JavaScript uh, control system. There's a JavaScript API. So, and there's even a scripts window inside audio hijack. So you can do things like when you start a session, run this script, or when you stop a session, run this script. And they've got some samples. There's some very clever ones. Like if there's a, if you stop a session and there's a recording that's like less than five seconds long, throw it in the trash, which I really like because sometimes I'm testing stuff and I'll end up with all these little audio files and you can actually just say, no, 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 just throw this away. I don't, I don't need short recording files. I only want the long ones. Um, so that's all in there, uh, but it's not just accessible from within the app. It's accessible from outside. And it turns out there are a couple of ways it's accessible from the outside. One of them is you can have a JavaScript script in a text file uh, and uh, tell Audio Hijack to open it and it runs it. And there's a, And there's a preference, by the way, there's a security preference you have to turn on for some of the, for external scripts to run. So if, you, if you're concerned about that, they made a checkbox that you have to check in order to turn on this feature. But that means that like anything, like a shell script or an Apple script or whatever, could write out a, uh, a JavaScript command and, and then have it open. And it's a little circuitous, but it, it totally works. And then the other way, shortcuts. So shortcuts on the Mac debuted right as they were, I think, starting work on Audio Hijack 4. They knew it was coming. Um, they, I think, probably had been working on their JavaScript stuff internally. And I think JavaScript is probably the way to go. I mean, a lot of apps these days um that's the scripting internal scripting language that that they're adopting it'll work on ios it'll work on mac os uh, omni uses it for all their scripting now i don't love javascript but it, everybody knows it and can get around in it and it, you know it's it's fine um but they added shortcut support and mm-hmm. they have three shortcuts actions right now which is not enough by the way but it's a start and the shortcut actions are start or stop a session <laughs> Uh, run a script that's in the script window in Audio Hijack or run this JavaScript where you can literally just put the JavaScript text in the shortcut action and say, run this. And from that, you can do almost anything uh, because you can turn sessions on and off. You can turn blocks on and off. You can get information back. Is this session running? What session is running? Uh, you can ask it, you know, ask it for information and get information back. And then you can, once you've got the state information, you've got a lot of power to do automation. So that's all great. Yeah, I would say one can do anything, you know? Well, yes, not you personally. And not this me. is And this is my complaint about it. And I, I, I think this is the starting point. And I think that Rogue Amoeba is going to look at what people do with this and figure out where they need to go from this. But there are a lot of one, two, three line JavaScripts that do things in 
that you can get information out of shortcuts, right? But you have to do them as these little JavaScripts. And I think that's where they're, they're, they're missing a piece that they need to add is they need to take a whole bunch of common things that you might want to get out of Audio Hijack and make them individual actions. And even if all that's happening behind the scenes is that you're firing off things into the JavaScript interface, not everybody, first off, not everybody is comfortable with JavaScript. And I'm not even comfortable with JavaScript. Um, So having them be a shortcut action that says, tell me what's recording right now. Like that's a, that's a three line JavaScript, but like, wouldn't it be nicer as a shortcuts user mm. if you didn't have to do that in order to find out what was running? And, th- and then you, know, you build on that. You have other things that are common use cases where they can build an action and roll that action into shortcuts. I'm pretty sure they're going to get there. But right now, other than turning things on and off, you have to use uh, the JavaScript action. Uh, I'm going to write, I, I wrote an article on Six Colors about this. I'm going to post at some point the um, some some basically like subroutines that you could use that are things like, tell me, <laughs> tell me what's recording right now. Because <laughs> like it's, I think it's really useful. It gives you back a list of what's recording right now. But mm-hmm. that should be, that should be built in. They should add all of those. And I'm I'm hopeful that they'll do that in updates as they go. But the good news about this is that because they put that run a JavaScript into shortcuts, if you're willing to get your hands dirty with JavaScript, you can basically do almost anything you want with the app, with a few exceptions. There are some things that are not wired up yet that I think they're also going to add. Like uh, Dan Warren and I were talking about how I'd really like to be able to use the automation to look at my calendar, find out what podcast I'm currently on, and update the contents of the um, of the live stream to say the name of the podcast, because it changes. Um, and uh, you can't change that field <laughs> in scripting right now. So we'll, well wait for could, that one. You could do that with shortcuts, though. You could add in... A shortcut section to do that. No, but you can't. You can't tell um, using the JavaScript API for Audio Hijack. You can't say change the name of the broadcast block to this. Ah, uh, okay. Um, that part so, is not accessible right, right now. Shortcut. Right? I mean, so I can yeah, do the shortcuts rest of could it. Read it, but it can't write that information out. Exactly. That's yeah. That's my point. Is that is that 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 and and a lot of it's there. You can turn most things on and off. You can flip switches and stuff. You can change the file names, which is kind of cool. But you can't like there are a few edge cases like the the metadata in the broadcast block that they didn't. They, they, I, I imagine that is a an update feature that they'll add. But yeah, the big one is the next step they need is to demystify the shortcuts experience because there are a lot of people who are going to use shortcuts who are not comfortable in javascript me yeah because there's some the stuff i would want to do i think would be pretty simple and i have faith the fact that they've put their foot in this um that this is just the first step of it and they'll add more because i figure they must have known right that like if they did this a little bit it was just going to get people like me and you saying, please continue doing more. Like, I, I think yes. they're smart enough over at Rogue Amoeba that they knew that. But this is like, adding this in is is the first step. Like, I think it does make the most sense of like, just see what people do with it and et cetera, et cetera. And, they can, and then they can write their own. Sure. Right. I think that's I think that's going to be the answer is that I think they decided rather than making assumptions and also they wanted to ship this thing. Right. Yeah. So they did the catch all, which is run this JavaScript. And it's like I said, it's entirely functional. You can do a one line. Most of my shortcuts do this. If they send a one line JavaScript to Audio Hijack that says what's 
the status of this session. It's basically, mm-hmm. is this on or off? Or, or I think it asks, like, is it, you know, I think it's, is it on or off? And it say it's running or it's stopped. And then my script reacts to that. It's like, oh, well, now I know what the current status is. I will react differently based on that. You can mm-hmm. also ask it, like, is that block turned on or off or whatever? You have that ability. I think in the long run, they're going to hear from people like me and they're going to they're going to get this feedback as sort of like, how are people actually automating with this? And because they created that JavaScript thing, it's like a, it's like um, kind of punting on the whole issue. It's like, well, you can do anything you want. You just have to use JavaScript for now. And then over time, they'll realize, okay, these are the ones that we're getting the most requests for. How do you do this? How do you do that? And then hopefully they'll start building out a little um, shortcuts library that I expect most of the shortcuts actions will be things that are fairly straightforward JavaScripts that, you know, basically like, but I don't want to, even as somebody who is using that interface, I don't necessarily want every time I want to do a thing in Audio Hijack via shortcuts, I have to go find my shortcut that has that script snippet and copy it out and then go back to the other shortcut and paste it in because you know, I I I don't remember it off the top of my head. I have to get the terminology exactly yeah. right when I would have preferred to just drag in a shortcuts action that says do this. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. I think I think it will progress. But um, but it's a great start, and it's led me to all sorts of wild stuff that I can do. So like I have a generic record podcast recording thing um, that I use for most of my podcasts, which is just this. It's called Podcast Lossless. It's a it's it records Zoom. It records my microphone. It saves the files to the desktop. And I built up a thing with shortcuts and keyboard maestro where I have a button on my stream deck. And um, by default, when it's not recording, it's the it's actually the audio hijack logo, um, which has got a black background. Mm-hmm. And when I press it, it starts recording and it turns the button into like a, an orangey red active state. Like I'm recording now and I can look down and know that I'm recording. And then when I press it again it toggles it back off. And th- that's a fairly simple automation, but it's great because it's basically giving me a one button record and it knows the state. So it is not going to light that button up unless it knows that it has just turned it on. Whereas all my old stuff was like, press the button and is did you just turn it off? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Now it knows. And then I have some more complicated ones that I detail in my six colors post where I've got kind of a three-way switch for the incomparable because we have three states for that where you go, you're not streaming live. And then when we turn on the live stream, we're not ready to start yet. People who listen to ATP live have heard this too, where it's like, we're playing like some music in the background. You can't hear us. We're just kind of warming up the live stream while we get our, our act together. And then you flip the switch and the music goes away and you hear our voices and the recordings start. And that's all automated now. Uh, it has been for a little while, actually, while I'm in beta. So I press the button and we go live with music. I press the button again, same button, and our voices appear and all the recordings start. And then when I p- press that button a third time, the live stream goes off, our mm. recordings stop, and we're done. And uh, and the little button updates along the way, too. So Lots of possibilities, uh, big and small, for automation with Audio Hijack for podcasters or people who do live events or you know or pretty much anything else. I mean, you can it, record like audio from video. I do that all the time with Audio Hijack. Yeah. Video um, conferencing, mm-hmm. if you need to record something or play something in, like there's so many different things you could do with this. So so yeah, it's it's great to see it. This is this is a. I know it's not for everybody, but for 
me and most of the people I know in the tech world, we use Audio Hijack all the time, every day, to do all sorts of complex and simple tasks. And so having it be um, connected to shortcuts in any way is a big deal. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Bombas. We love, really love Bombas here because their mission is so simple. To make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold of an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes that you can't wait to put on every single day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them perfect, cozy winter layers. There's a pair of Bomba socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options, like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bombas underwear has a barely there feel that makes you maybe forget that they're even there, but in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That is why Bombas donates one for every item that you buy. I am a very happy Bombas customer. Uh, my favorite products of theirs, I really love their no-show socks. They're like the ankle socks. They're so comfortable. They come with some padded areas, especially on the heel, which is really important for me. Keeps them nice and comfortable. They also have their, oh, they're like their slipper socks, which I just, oh man, I love those things so much. that I wear them all the time at home. They're really comfortable. They keep me nice uh, and warm. The gripper slippers, that's the name. Uh, they're like socks but slippers. They're so cool. I love these things. Uh, I need to buy some more of them. I think I said this last time and I haven't done it yet, but I need to do it. I'm going to leave this page open. I'm going to go buy some after we're done with the show today because I only have one pair and I'm always sad when they're in the wash. So go to bombas.com slash upgrade and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off. That URL one last time is bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and Relay FM. Socks. Jason, I have some updates for you on yes. reader apps, dating apps in the Netherlands. Oh, my favorite Apple. things. All of our favorite things. I like reading. I've been to the Netherlands. That's all I got. I guess you liked <laughs> dating at one point, but that we're done with that. No. No? Okay. No. Jason never liked dating. Kind of like nope. Apple. I don't think Apple likes dating. No. <laughs> At least they don't want... Anyway, uh, Apple has published an update to the rules surrounding de- dating apps in the Netherlands. So Please things. stand for the reading of the rules. Man, you'd be standing a lot if you were, <laughs> with all of these rules. They keep changing them. All right, so developers will now no longer be required to submit two separate binaries to the App Store. This is previously required that if you wanted to use external payment methods or link people out, you would need to have a version that just used Apple's in-app purchase and then the second version. Now, you no longer need to do that. So to read from uh, the developer notes, like the update, this change means that developers may include either entitlement in their existing dating app, but still must limit it to use in the Netherlands storefront and on devices running iOS or iPadOS. So that's good, right? That's a good start, right? Because then otherwise you're gonna, some of these companies will probably even in the next five years have yeah. gotten themselves into a situation where they had 20 apps that they were updating for every country that requires Apple to do this. 
This actually surprises me because I thought this would be one of the ways that Apple would just inflict pain on people who wanted to go outside of their system. But yeah. perhaps they felt that they were going to get in trouble for not being part well, of the uh, spirit of I the I don't know. Uh, Jason, ruling. I think there's more going on here that we might get to a little bit later mm. on. I don't think that this is – I think this is for nothing other than Apple have worked something out. But we'll get to that maybe in yeah. a little bit. Uh, they've also softened the language that appears in the dialogue that users see before making a payment with an external provider. They've also changed the requirements for how often it needs to be shown. So it previously stated that this would be required before every transaction. So every time a transaction was going to be required, even though you're going out and paying something new or paying for an in-app purchase, whatever, they would show this sheet every single time. And I'll read the language of it in a minute. But the new rules say each payment flow where the user would make a purchase until the user taps the continue button on a per-device basis. Now, the re- way I read that is you only see it once. Once you've seen it that one time, the next time you want to make a purchase, you just make the purchase. Apple don't show you this screen that makes you agree to the fact that you're not going to be using their app payment stuff. I don't know. It's until the user taps the continue button. Well, right? I guess if because you, you could press dismiss. Okay. Because you have two options to either continue or to not do it. And my reading of that is, if you say, I don't want to do it, the next time you do it, you'll be shown it again. Oh, yeah. But once you tap continue on that device, then you won't get it, shown mm-hmm. it again on that device. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I had to use the Wayback Machine to get this. But the, the dialogue used to say, this app does not support the App Store's private and secure payment system. All purchases in the app will be managed by the developer. Your stored app store payment method and related features such as subscription management and refund requests will not be available. Only purchases through the app store are secured by Apple. This is the, uh, this app may kill you language that we talked about a while ago. Yeah, we had some real problems with this. I was very upset about this because it's this, this kind of uh, inherent, like this like implied language that the only secure payments are Apple's payments. Right. The modal now says, this app doesn't support the App Store's payment system. All purchases in this app will be managed by the developer. You will no longer be transacting with Apple. Your stored App Store payment method and related features such as subscription management and refund requests will not be available. Apple is not responsible for the privacy or security of transactions made with this developer. Big thumb up from me. Much better, right? Way better. It it's not this app will kill you. It's like Apple has nothing to do with what you're about to do. Good yep. luck. <laughs> also, by the way, refunds, Apple, you don't do those. <laughs> That's not a thing. But it's funny to me that it's in there. There are weird ways in some places. You can't request a refund from developers, though. You have to request it from Apple. So they're saying this is a feature, right? Which is like, look, when you subscribe with Apple, you have a subscription management page with all your subscriptions. And when you ask for a refund for an app, you do it through Apple. Now you're going to have to go to the developer to do it. But it, it, this you is may actually have language. more luck at getting that refund, which is a funny uh-huh. thing. Because Apple uh, do this, not like. Yeah, this is... This is much, much better language. Way better. It's much more factual and clear, right? And it's not suggesting, like, something wicked this way comes, right? Like, right. It's, it's, it's like it's this not doing This app may not well. kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, there have been no changes to the 27% fee that Apple is, is uh, going to be enforcing on developers in the yeah. Netherlands that use this. There's no changes on how Apple requires reporting or any changes to the audit rights that Apple has on a developer. All of that I still have a big problem with. 
And to round out this part with the Netherlands, uh, currently Apple's fines for not complying with the ruling given by the Dutch regulators have passed 50 million euro because mm-hmm. they've been charging them 5 million a week. Um, as of recording, because usually there's been like uh, these fines get added every Monday. Um, but it happens some right. point on Monday or Tuesday. Yep. The, they listen to Upgrade and then... Uh, and then they do it. Like, oh, they, yeah. we, we remind them. Because uh, it actually right. oh, genuinely God, happens not too long after we finish recording, which is a funny time for the Netherlands, really, because it's... Anyway, like it's end past the, day, the end yeah. of the workday. Uh, but a couple of days ago, uh, the regulator gave a comment to TechCrunch saying that they will evaluate this proposal from Apple to see if it meets their rules. Ooh, I actually am not even sure if a lot of this is to meet the rules. Uh, but again, we'll get to that in a bit because there's also, Apple's very busy, they have finally released the guidance around the external linking for reader apps that was agreed as part of a deal with the Japan Fair Trade Commission back in September 2021. I yeah. cannot believe it was that long ago, six months ago now. So this is all intended to be just for managing or creating accounts, right, with reader apps. So these are your Kindles, your Netflixes, that kind of thing. Um, Some of the stuff that they've shown, of course, there is a modal dialogue when you click one of these links, which says you're about to leave the app and go to an external website. You will no longer be transacting with Apple. And then it's basically the same stuff as before about subscription management, refund requests, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I got some helpful. Some luckily, The Verge uh, went through a lot of this stuff, and I was able to crib from them. So thank you to Mitchell Clark at The Verge. Uh, Apple have a list of requirements that apply to the link itself that they give that, that someone will click. The link must open in a browser. It cannot open in an in-app web view. Yep. There is no additional data or parameters like tracking stuff that can be passed to the website. And your app cannot contain text explaining how much things on your website will cost, which I guess means you can charge whatever you want, right? So it can be cheaper on the website, but you just can't say it. You can't say it. I think this is... So initial thought for me was, wait a second, one link seems like uh, a waste and no additional data or parameters seems like a waste. But here's the thing. The way this will functionally work is that it will go to a page that is the page that you go to when you come from the app. Mm-hmm. The first thing it's going to do is have you log in. And then it's going to display whatever is relevant. But you can also create. So it wouldn't just be login. Or create. Logging in or creating. But the point is, what you're going to do is is end up in a state, at least potentially, where that where Safari on your device is... Um, logged in on that page. So this is less onerous, I think, than I originally thought because the smart uh, services will, you know, once you're logged into that page, you can display whatever you anticipate people coming from the app will see. Mm-hmm. So in the end, you're probably going to get a tap here, like I'm in the Kindle app and I'm logged in and I tap here and it'll display my purchases or it'll display... Uh, things I want to buy. It, it, where, what it doesn't get you is I'm looking at a particular book and I want to buy it and then I tap and I go to that book page on Amazon because that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. But you can tap and go and get your account page and and go from there. So it's not terrible because it's not like 
it's opening not knowing anything of who you are to the homepage of the website. But it's also not allowing the passing of data for things like, so you want to buy this book, tap here to go to Amazon's page for this book where you can buy it. It, It's not, that part is not allowed. Well, here's the thing. Remember that one link thing? Like, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, the one link. There is no reference to one link in this entire documentation from Apple. Now, I think there's a reason for this. They actually explicitly say you can provide multiple links for different use cases or languages. Okay. I think what it what they are were trying to get across and what they're still trying to get across is is that there's only really the use cases that they are permitting, which is create a new account, manage that account. And you right. have to provide every link to them to review. And it has to meet Yes. Like in every place you're putting it and what they will also review where it's going to. And then Apple have, I, they haven't, again, they don't really seem to have stated too much about what's required on the web pages, but I'm sure that's like a, we'll have that conversation with you. You know, mm-hmm. like I imagine there'll be a bit of to and throw because there's not going to be a lot of companies that will be able to take advantage of this, right? It really yeah. is going to be mostly the companies you would expect. Like, it, There aren't going to be a lot of small companies, I think, that are going to be able to really use this to any great effect. No, there aren't a lot of small companies making reader apps, to be exactly. clear. But the, 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 the original announcement stated one link. The phrase one link is not mentioned yeah, well, anywhere in this documentation. Obviously, they got feedback that there are lots of, but what about this? But what about this? Yeah. We've got two different kinds of things that happen, and we have different languages, and we can't pass data, so how do we do that? And so Apple seems to have said, well, you can support multiple links as long as there are four different use cases or languages, as you said, and then we have to approve them. Mm-hmm. What it doesn't mean is, Again, I can't tap on a book and go to that books page on Amazon yeah. because that is they're not going to approve a link for every single book. And really what they're saying there is that is passing data or parameters. Yeah. And that's not allowed. It has to be a generic request. It can be a generic request for this is for my account options or this is my sign in or this is I have a problem or whatever the use cases mm-hmm. are, but not for like individual transaction items. They're not going to let you do that, which is what, you know, that's what Amazon would prefer, right? Is the Kindle app could show you, you could search for books in the Kindle app and find a book you want and tap, and it would open Safari to that page with a big fat buy now button. And you can't do that Mm -hmm. in this scenario. So remember at the moment, both the Dutch uh, dating app thing and the reader app thing. The reader app thing is worldwide, even though it was just a decision with the Japan Fair Trade Commission. They applied it worldwide. I'm actually not sure why. Um, I guess this is just to appease the large companies that they're dealing with here. And for whatever reason, Apple doesn't care about Match.com. Uh, <laughs> right? It's just like you would just do this in the Netherlands, nowhere else. Remember, that this is an entitlement that they have to apply for, and then you get to do certain things. And entitlements is, is a little bit above my pay grade, but it's like you are granted the ability to put something in your application that ties into a private API that other people are not allowed to use. This is the same with CarPlay. This is how CarPlay works. But there was a note in the documentation that says, Apple is developing a new external link account API that will provide the in-app modal sheet. Once this new API becomes available in a public release of iOS and iPadOS, you'll have 30 days to adopt it with the next update of your app. 
In the meantime, you'll need to build this modal sheet by following exactly the design specifications provided below. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions about this. Why are they not just waiting until this is available? Right? Because we've already waited six months. Like, what, you know, why not? Why, why, why are we doing this, like, impromptu, like this, sorry, this, like, um, uh, intermediate step? Fines. Fines, I think, is the answer, right? Well, but Fines. this is They're, separate to, to the Dutch To Dutch the Dutch things. dating. But I, I think this is so that Apple can say, look, you can do it now. We're not pr holding anyone back. Mm -hmm. it, it is Ab Apple demonstrating something that they have not demonstrated up to now in some ways, which is them saying, look, okay, but it's going to take time. We have to do a whole thing. We have to build an API. And now what they're saying is, look, we're building an API, but don't say we're dragging our feet. If you want to replicate what our guidelines today, go ahead. Replicate our guidelines mm -hmm. today without the API, and you can do it, and we'll let you do it. But we're also going to work on a thing that's a lot easier to implement um, but if you want to replicate it in the meantime, go ahead. We're not standing in your way. And I think that that is a posturing thing, not necessarily about Dutch dating apps, but it is a posturing thing to regulators to say, we're not dragging our feet here. You can do this today, but we you're going to have to do the work. Mm -hmm. We're doing the work for you. That's not ready yet. You can do this today. And and I think I think that's clever in some ways because it's Apple basically saying, don't blame us. Um, and also Apple knowing it's unlikely that the spirit of, well, I don't know about the spirit when a judge says like in the Dutch dating case, do this Apple, what they're saying is Apple be permissive. And what they're not saying is Apple, you will immediately furnish the thing you like to furnish, which is a bunch of developer APIs. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, be permissive. And this is Apple saying, we are permissive now. You can do this. Here are the rules. Done. We worked. All that we really need to do is give you the rule book. We also are going to do an API for developers that's going to be good. But we're not standing in your way. And I think that that's, I think they're sending a message, right? Which is, you know, we're, anyone who wants to do this now, we are going to let you do it now. We're not mm -hmm. going to let our implementation of the API uh, be the gating factor, and so don't blame us and say we're dragging our feet, even though they were dragging their feet. Yes. So it gets them it gets them out of the way of that. Yeah, I, I you know, a and they're saying within 30 days after we release the API, you got to rip out all the work you did and then use our API anyway. Yeah, but in the meantime, you can you can do this. But like that feels very much like a message to the courts, which is we heard you. You don't like us waiting for the API. This is so funny to me, right? Where it's like, they came up with this deal six months ago, and now they've released the entitlement ability. But as soon as they come up with this API, they will require everyone to do it within 30 days. Yes. Rip it right out. And I just find that so funny, right? Like, we'll do take as long work. as we want. But but again, it's the, it's the, it's the letter and the spirit, right? It's yeah. them saying, um, oh, we're not standing in your way. If you do a bunch of extra work and then rip it out later, you can do it right now. But... I, I think that is, you know, I think that a lot of courts might look at that uh, or regulators and look at that and say, okay, fair enough. Like, uh, because the argument here is like, should Apple have to furnish Amazon with all the code to do this? Like, if Apple didn't want to ever do an API for this and posted the guidelines, would that be 
contrary to the spirit of what's being asked for here? I would say it, it wouldn't be. It's not Apple doing an API for it is really not part of the regulation. The, the regulators aren't saying you must provide an API. They're saying you must allow people to do this. And so Apple is splitting the difference a little bit, but it is saying, look, we're not standing in the way of doing it now. Here are our rules. We will agree to this, but we will do an API because that's the best way forward. And that will ultimately allow Apple to completely control it and not have to patrol what these, you know, API uh, uh, mirroring things are in the meantime. Uh, but it's just, I think it's a fascinating little bit of strategy where mm. it sort of is removing the the waiting time for the API from the equation in terms of an impatient government or judge looking at Apple saying, come on now, like, come on, you're just, you know, you're just delaying here. You're just stalling. They're like, no, no, no. People can, who want to do it now can put in the work and do it now. We'll be here later. Yeah. I, when I read this, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is part of a few things, you know, like to, to different APIs for mm -hmm. new systems here. I like, I, I like know. this. I like this approach. I mean, I, within the context of Apple's dealing with these regulations, I like to see Apple doing this because I do think it's a smart move for them to say, cause okay, first off, Apple wants to build an API for everything and they want to have a whole system and they want to have it be measured and careful and considerate and put it out for developers and say, here's the right way to do things. And it turns out the courts just want Apple to, to move. So how do, you how do you reconcile those two things? This is the answer, which is Apple can do rule book real fast. Not, like, not fast in real world terms, but in Apple terms. They can come up with a rule book a lot faster than they can roll out an API in a shipping version of the OS. Yeah. So this is their, this is their way of dealing with that is, uh, you know, build it today if you want. We'll have an API later. When we do the API, you got to adopt it. We're done. But overall, I would say the language that they have land they landed on vastly better than where they were before. Oh yeah, yeah. They're not. And and again, I wonder. Like you were saying, I wonder what happened behind the scenes here, right? I wonder if somebody somewhere on the outside. I doubt it was on the inside. On the outside was like, you got to stop with the scare language. That's we are not happy with you trying to dissuade. Users, it needs to be neutral language. Somebody somewhere said I mean, that. I assume they just got a lot of pushback, you know, like yeah. like from people in the media, like me and you, and and uh, many other outlets, and also the developers that they're writing this stuff for. It's just like, yeah. this is too much. You've gone too hard, like way too hard. You got to pull it back a little bit, you know. Yeah, or well, maybe, but my just guess is that maybe, with spite, maybe you know, maybe there's somebody in the in one of these. Uh, areas where Apple is negotiating with them about like, is this enough? Is this enough? Said, we want neutral language. Yeah. This is not neutral. Maybe. And maybe they put, pasted in a bunch of links to like The Verge and other articles saying, see, everybody agrees. You're really, this is, you're trying to scare people. And that's not what we are asking for. We are asking for you to have neutral language. You can state the facts about your subscription thing and your refunds. You can state the facts but to imply everything but you is dangerous is not neutral. Um, so I, I just, I mean, maybe I'm being cynical here and they, they decided themselves that this was better language, but I don't think so. I think they got, I, I, I suspect that somebody told them you can't do this. You, you must be more neutral than this. But the net result is the same, which is the language is better. They're not telling you the app is going to kill you. They're just saying you're leaving Apple. And that's what it should be. 
And again, I applaud the idea that they're going to make the uh, the behavior available faster and not make everybody wait for the API. Because if I was a judge <laughs> on one of these cases and Apple said, well, uh, okay, we'll put it in our internal process and in September uh, it'll be available for people, I would be like, nuh-uh. Uh-uh. I told you now, and I'm willing to be reasonable here, but I'm not going to give you six, nine months, a year to drag your feet on this. And and so their new policy here seems to be um, better in that regard, too. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Did you forget that one thing at the store today? Well, now you can get snacks, drinks, and household essentials. In 30 minutes with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you with the restaurants you love right now and right to your door, but you can also get these essentials that you need of DoorDash too. Anything you're looking for delivered in under an hour. Ordering is easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want it, and your items will be left safely outside your door with the contactless delivery drop-off setting. They have over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, and you can support your neighborhood go-tos as well or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and the Cheesecake Factory. Another story when we were in Memphis, we were running late for a, a big meeting that we had um, over at St. Jude, which was very exciting. But we needed some like toiletry-related stuff. There were some things we didn't re- remember, some extra stuff that we needed. And so we just opened up DoorDash, and we were able to order these items. And they were brought to us in our hotel, and we could just go downstairs, grab them, and carry on with our day. Very easy. Loved it. So it's just like, you know, multitasking, you know, things are happening. We're getting ready, you know, doing this stuff. It's awesome. Really love DoorDash, not just for the food stuff, but also for these essentials too. It's really great. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. All you got to do is download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2022 in the US and UPGRADE AUS for Australia. That is 25% off up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order. Just download the DoorDash app in the App Store, enter the code UPGRADE2022 for the US and UPGRADE AUS if you're in Australia. One last time, upgrade 2022 US, upgrade AUS Australia, 25% off your first order with DoorDash, subject to change, terms apply, a thanks to DoorDash for the support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish out today's episode with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. <laughs> Got a couple of uh, studio display related questions, just thought it would be a nice bookend for today's episode. Setku asked this one to me, Jason. It says, Mike, oh. given your recent escapades of Apple support with your screen technology technicalities of Apple Care Plus, this is my very scratched, I believe cracked iPhone, which Apple said is not cracked and they won't replace it, even though I want to pay them with my Apple Care Plus. They said, did you spend the extra on Apple Care Plus for your studio display? And I will say, no, Setku, I didn't because I have pledged to myself that I'm never getting Apple Care again. Interesting. I'm not going to do it anymore. I uh, never, Mike, you know, I never buy Apple Care. Yep. I bought it on the studio display. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> I enough. decided that Why? if there was ever an Apple purchase where I was like, I don't know, I kind of want them to to uh, have a lot of time there. I, I've changed. I used to decline on everything, mm-hmm. extended warranties and all of that. And I found that I'm now targeting certain technologies and product types where I'm like, I kind of don't trust this product. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. I'm gonna put a little more in, uh, and I never do it, but I did it for the I did it for the studio display. No, I've just decided I'm done with it. I've never used Apple Care, and I've got it on every iPhone for years and years and years, and on all yeah. my all my devices. 
And the one time I wanted to get a replacement for my very scratch screen, they told me it's not counted, even though I think it should be. So I'm done. I am done. I'm done with it. uh, And I'm not going to get it anymore. And I'm just going to save the money instead of paying for their Apple Care. And I'll just get, I'll just do deal with it myself with getting the the repairs done because I'm fed up with it. I also had that spider that one time, and so I'm really kind of concerned about my displays now. I'd like makes I'd like this display to last a long time. Of course, the Apple Care Plus doesn't last a long time, but mm-hmm. I I did do it for that. I also bought a, an extended warranty in another th- product uh, this week, but I'll okay. talk about that at another time. Maybe oh. maybe it'll be an upgrade plus segment. I don't know. Ooh, interesting. Mike asks, I never worried about a monitor becoming obsolete before its end of life. With the studio display having an A13 chip, do you think that could be a valid concern? I don't. Okay. It's just, in the end, it is designed to be a dumb display. <laughs> I know it's smart, but it's actually designed to be dumb and transparent, and so I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think I think you'll be able to plug... Uh, I mean, it, so will software updates stop coming for it? Sure, but like a dumb display doesn't get updated either, Yeah. right? It either yeah. works or it doesn't. There'll be some features eventually that you won't be able to use, but that you just won't do those use those features. Like there'll be new features, like any product, yeah. right? Yeah. I so I think I think it's not going to be a big deal. I think uh, you'll be able to use this for a long time, and it will be fine. I think it is a good question, though, right? Because it is years. different to imagine like a computer inside the monitor. Like that is a different is a very right. different thing. Yeah. It's just. I mean, the difference though is that in the end, it's all. What's really happening is it's meant to be opaque, and it's mm-hmm. not like, oh boy, we're going to update the software to. And, and as people have pointed out, Apple has had firmware updates for its monitors before. Yeah. Eventually, this the display reaches the end of its updating life, but it's still just a display. I mean, of all the devices I have, I still have a bunch of ancient displays around me in this office that all work fine with even with modern hardware if you can get the adapters right and and so like i've got a flat screen that was my first flat screen display at work like i don't even know how long ago that was a whole long time ago and i'm looking at it right now and it's plugged into like a raspberry pi and it works fine and it'll plug into a laptop it's not retina and it's very small but it works so i i i'm not concerned about it at all and Brian asks, I've just realized, actually, is firmware, because it's in the middle of software and hardware, is that why it's called that? It's yeah, like I think I, I, I think the idea with firmware is that, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's software for hardware, so it's firmware. It's, firmware. It's, not quite, it's not quite as loosey-goosey as software. Um, yeah. I find that like a funny... I, you know, you just never really think about the etymology, like yeah. the words, you know? Right, where where it came from. Yeah, that, I yeah. know that's absolutely what it is. It's somewhere between soft and hard. It's firm. That, that is hilarious. Tofu wear. <laughs> Consistency. Uh, Brian asks, do other members of your family have user profiles on your Macs? Or do you have a profile on the Macs of, that others own in your family? No. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't have this either. Actually, this is not entirely true. When my kids had laptops and they were younger, I had they had no admin privileges, and so I had an account. Okay. And if there were certain things that needed to happen, they came and brought them to me and said, "Daddy, you need to put in your password now for the to Mm -hmm. approve this app that I downloaded." And I'd be like, "Whatever are you downloading?" And but like that was part of it. But like my son just got a a MacBook Pro to take to college. And 
I set it up with him having a user and I don't have a user on that computer and it's fine. That would be complicated if you still had all the admin privileges on that laptop that he's taking out of college. It's just that would my, be difficult for him at I, some I point. Only, I only had profiles on, yeah, to do parental control yeah. kind of stuff and I don't do that anymore. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess it is a kind of like uh, that regard is like a parental control or a a purchasing thing, you know, like in an Apple family app store thing. Uh, Yeah, no, I've never done this and wouldn't imagine it. I I think um, at least, you know, with me and Adina, we have our own computers. We just want to use our own computers, right? Like, and if for any reason one of us needed to use each other's computers, it's not to the level that we need our own user on it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just going to use this to search something real quick. I don't now need my own login to this computer. Don't begrudge other people for doing it. Like there is, you know, like I've spoken about the fact that um, at some point in the future, this iMac will become the home computer, like the home, like we just live somewhere in the home. We might then have our own users on it. Yeah. You know? But we don't have any devices that, that we are shared share. computers. Yeah, so yeah, that I think that's that's I don't have any like that, but this one would at some point become that. So, but you're right. I, I wouldn't mind if I if we positioned an iMac somewhere in the house to, to have it be. Uh, in fact, the nice thing about Touch ID, right, is you can just yeah. log in with your Touch ID and all of that, and switch to your profile. And but but no, we don't have any that. Of that. Even does so it all laptops. If someone's already signed in and they put their finger on the Touch ID, it switches, switches doesn't it? to them. Yeah, that's so cool. That's such a cool feature. If you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on a future episode of Upgrade, you can send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. Mm. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up at $5 a month or $50 a year and you will get longer ad-free episodes of Upgrade every single week. So Mm -hmm. you get more Upgrade, no ads pretty great deal right pretty good pretty, pretty good. great deal you, you can hear us deal. talk about a tv show that mike and i both think is amazingly good mm-hmm. and uh i'm gonna give you an appliance update too if you enjoy this show you will enjoy upgrade plus and you will also be helping support the show too which we value greatly yes thank you to fitbod and bombus and doordash for their support of this episode as well we greatly appreciate that but most of all as always Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Who knows if the WWDC will be announced by then? Who knows? Seems like a impossibility at this point, but who knows? Maybe they'll just give us seven days' notice this time. Can you? <laughs> hey, it's next week. It is late May. The Apple community is whipped into a frenzy. When will WWDC be announced? Yeah. People are taken to the streets with placards that say the end is nigh. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. 